Welcome to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast. This podcast is about all things outdoor photography, including landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more. The show features two talented photographers, Henry Doyle and Ryan Taylor, who bring their different experiences in photography to the podcast. The show is released weekly every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In today's episode, Henry and Ryan talk about spring photography and what they're most looking forward to. They talk about spring ephemeral flowers, warblers and other migratory species, butterflies and moths, and flowing waterfalls. Spring is an excellent time for outdoor photography, and they hope you are just excited to get out there and photograph it as much as they do. Welcome back to episode 63 of the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about one of the best seasons out there, in my opinion, at least. No, I agree with you, man. We're talking about spring photography today, which is um, yeah. probably, is it your favorite season for photography? Photography. Um, I, I've never really hit spring hard, but like this year I'm going to, so I think it'll become my favorite season, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think... I think once you, if you, especially if you shoot like all things outdoor, like are that's very on brand for us. But like, if you do that, like, there's so much to see, which we'll cover in this episode about spring. Like, for me, it's my favorite season just for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. I find I have the most enjoyment outdoors to just spending time outside in spring. Yeah, same here. Yeah, there's just something about that. Uh, not to get all uh, philosophical, but it's just like that time of like that season of renewal and growth and like it just feels like after a long winter it's like it's just such in desire of it i guess too and it's been a long winter this year too so -hmm. many freezes and so much snow um yeah and you know i'm i'm starting to see the signs in louisville of spring for sure i just feel like it's such in desire especially after like you said a long winter it's like as we're starting to get to you know the starts of spring it's like you know it's a good time of year to really be talking about and what we're most excited for too Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's kind of planned it out too as well. It's good to yeah. say it out loud and just kind of start thinking about it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, before we get into it, uh, do you have any announcements or updates? Uh, yeah, so I've uh, got some new gear recently. Uh, I finally got a good pair of binoculars. Uh, let me actually look real quick. They are Celestron... Outland X and they're eight by 42. Um, so they're pretty far. Um, I find it's about the same as my like 500 millimeter lens, which is pretty awesome. Um, uh, lets in plenty of light, waterproof, fog proof. Um, it was time, you know, I had these mini, um, the ones I brought, um, when I was shooting with you, Ryan, I actually lost, um, I think actually on that shoot. Um, and then I was stuck with these mini discovery binoculars that were like so small, not that tight in. So, um, it was much needed. So, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I I think if I remember you had those tiny binoculars with us on, or on that particular day that we met up. Yeah. I, I think I dropped it where the snowy owls were, honestly. Oh, really? (laughs) And excitement. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's a bummer. Oh, they weren't any good. So. Um, okay. I just hope no birds got injured by it or anything. But <laughs> it tumbled down the the hill and hit snowy. Uh huh. Yeah. But um, yeah, these are great, great pair. You know, they're not the main brands. Like it's, I I opted to save money, um, but it's just as high a quality. It's just not like 
Savarovsky or Nikon or anything. So. No, I mean, I, I, I've heard of Celestron, and that, I think it's a pretty good brand. I mean, mm -hmm. from what I've heard, um, I don't have a pair of those, but um, I've been rocking my Nikons for a couple of years now. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny enough, I just, the other night, uh, like, maybe a little bit out of boredom, but I just, like, was searching eBay for some new gear. Um, I bought a new pair of wading boots, but I also bought a pair of um, Vortex Diamondbacks, which are pretty nice. So, Where are those? Binoculars? Binoculars. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Nice. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, but Vortex is apparently one of the better brands, and I found a used pair, so I was like, it comes with a hard shell case and everything. I got a good deal on it, so I'm looking forward to upgrading my bins. Great. Yeah. Come spring here, so. Yeah, yeah. Those binoculars are going to be great in McGee Marsh. Uh, you know, you may not even need them, honestly, uh, but, you know, those will be great in general migration, general spring season as well, so. Yeah, all, all year especially. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Awesome. Yeah, and then cool. the the one other thing I got. Um, so I'm going to Nome, Alaska, in the summer, um, and there's a list of pretty much like essential gear you need, um, just because you know this guy's he's done it many times and he, he knows like the distance of subjects. Uh, and a 1.4 teleconverter was one of them. So um, I got a pretty good deal on the the Canon one. Um, I could have gone with the 2x, but I've heard there's a pretty bad quality loss, so I just did the 1.4. Um, and it makes my 500 millimeter lens at 700. And, you know, on a full frame camera, you know, 500 is not always enough. So it's, it's been nice uh, at 700 millimeters. Awesome. Yeah. I, I've heard the same thing too with teleconverters is like you're, you're sacrificing like basically at the expense of that further reach, you're getting less light and mm -hmm. uh, you know, degradation and quality and sharpness as well. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So my seven one 500 becomes a F 10 700. Um, so it's kind of going back to my F11 days. Um, but so I know how to work with that though. So, uh, you know, I'm able to deal with that and on a sunny day, you know, F10 is no problem. So. Right. Yeah. That works out. Yep. Cool. Any updates awesome. from you? Uh, well, um, I've been kind of shifting gears and mindset and photography lately. Um, maybe temporarily, I don't know, definitely we'll see, but um, basically, I lent this uh, film camera, uh, 35 millimeter film camera, and uh, I've been using that. I actually did two rolls of film in like two days, which apparently is quite a lot because um, the guy I got it from, um, shout out to Jeremy Mudd. Um, he's a local photographer that I've met up with before a couple of times, and we you know exchange messages and stuff every now and then on some like camera club groups. Um, and he does great work, uh, film and digital alike, uh, lots of different subjects and stuff, but. Anyways, um, he was basically gave me uh, these two rolls of film and camera and three lenses. And he's like, go out and shoot in a few weeks, you know, and give me, give me the rules back and I'll develop and scan them for you. And I was awesome. like, offered it to me too. I wasn't even like asking him. He just like out of nowhere was like, Hey, you want to do this? Completely so, free too. Yeah. Like he's just wow. offering the film and he's like, I'll even develop and scan it for you. And then. Basically, it's kind of like a, not like a contract, but it's like, it's just like a little deal because it's a fun challenge. I mean, that's why I said yes. Um, but it's this thing that's called uh, Film February, which is apparently like some kind of, I think it's like a global challenge of like shooting film in February, the month of. And so basically um, sometime in the next couple of weeks, we're going to, um, once all the people that participated locally speaking around me um, have you know, developed the roles and everything, we're going to have this like Zoom call like a basically a virtual meetup and talk about our experiences and share the photos and all that stuff. Um, 
So I'm really looking forward to that just as a way of, you know, meeting, I guess, other photographers or, you know, reconnecting with ones I've haven't talked to in a while. Um, and just talking about photography, of course, you know, of course. Awesome. So, and yeah, so, and shooting film is something that's way out of my realm of knowledge. So like this whole thing's been quite a learning experience. Um, I even filmed it in the field video for one of the two days, uh, the first day actually of me out shooting, um, and some local parks and stuff. Um, and so that's going to be released eventually, but you know, I'm going to wait for the film to come back. Um, still need to send it back to Jeremy, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little nervous because of just, you know, it felt like I was honestly, like I was starting photography all over again, uh, with learning exposure and it just, it felt like I was just starting over. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was a weird experience, but like now that I'm through it and gone through it and everything, it just, it feels really like a weight off my shoulders. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the results are too. And that, that manual focus too, your enemy. Yeah. No, actually, funnily enough, um, he gave me a Nikon N80, which uh, I think was released in 1999 or 2000. And so it was one of the last Nikon film cameras. And because of that, like the body itself and the controls, it feels like and honestly looks like at a glance, like a like a DSLR. Um, so it's all the buttons are mapped out in such a way where it really does feel natural. Now, granted, I'm a Canon shooter by heart, but like I used Nikon in high school when I took film class and all that stuff. So it felt similar enough, but this camera like felt like a DSLR in a sense, just without that back screen, obviously. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was funny because you can actually map it, have back button focus, which Jeremy asked me uh, ahead of time when we were messaging back and forth. And he said like, do you use back button focus? Cause I, can, I have it set to that, but I can change it back if you want. And I'm like, nope, keep it. <laughs> Wait, I so it. it does have autofocus? Yeah, it does. Oh. Yeah. I know it's actually, it took me about 10 exposures to realize it. Cause I was like, why isn't this working? And I like had to dial some buttons in and I was like, Oh, cause it's in the same spot as it would be on like, you know, your mirrorless or your DSLR would be obviously on the back, but yeah. So it, it works in much the same way. So it's, it's pretty neat. So it felt, it really felt like a natural extension or whatever you want to call it of shooting digital in a way. It really wasn't that different. I don't know. It was still fun, of yeah. course, but yeah, it, it just felt like a new, it was a nice transition, but like it was definitely new enough and somewhat uncomfortable territory that like it was still exciting from like a challenge perspective and just like, yeah, growing as an artist, we'll say, <laughs> creatively speaking, I guess. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's always good to push your comfort zone and that's a, definitely a drastic one, but um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it'll improve your real photography or your digital i shouldn't say real photography <laughs> to improve your digital <laughs> photography too <laughs> well yeah to, to, to tack on to that you know d digital is where i belong i think it just suits my self and style i guess but uh -huh. like i don't i don't feel like i can ever break myself away from digital um you know i have mad respect for people that shoot purely uh film and like they do it so well and i i can only imagine how you know much hours they pour into their craft and all that of course but so respect to them, but maybe, like I said, maybe this is a nice like little break, I guess, from digital just to try something new. Maybe I'll get back into doing film a lot more. Maybe it's funny. I actually said in the video at the beginning of the video when I was recording, I said like, maybe in a few years, I'll, I'll only do film, you know, oh. you know I'll put myself on the. Huh? I mean, I was just like, you know, I'll put myself on the record as saying it because you never know, I guess. But, you know, it's Thomas it's like, we'll see. style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. If only, but, but anyways, yeah, it was, it was fun. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing the results. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm it's from my limited film experience, like I, I definitely see what you mean. Like you really just focus more on photography. Um, and it really is just completely different. Like just completely different. Like I mean the same principles yeah. are still there, but you have to think so much more. We take so much for granted today. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree totally. But and it's like it's almost like a I think it noticed what it really did was those two days, it unlocked it made me realize habits I've had for years with the camera. And like, so it made me realize that like, I felt like it, it w- I was slowing down a little bit to think about compositions and stuff, but like at the same time, it kept making me like realize, like, I felt like I was rushing in a way to like complete the roles. Like I felt like a mission or a goal to complete. And mm-hmm. like, I didn't really like that aspect and that's totally my fault of course, or whatever out of habit. But like, it made me realize how fast I move and like, so I don't know, maybe it's just like an idea for moving forward is to like slow down and really think about it. Mm-hmm. Cause I was also shooting handheld, which is another thing I don't do often. So like I had all these new kind of variables involved and everything. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a different, it was yeah. a learning experience, I think. And it really made me realize like the way I shoot, which isn't wrong, but like it just made me realize how I usually do it or happen and maybe like try something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, glad yeah. to hear you've had a good experience with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, that's a big tangent, but uh, yeah, I think one... I think we'll do our announcement at the end. Uh, if you want, just our, our big announcement here, and uh, yeah, we'll sure. just kind of get into the the topic at hand. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. So, oh yeah. So, mm-hmm. spring. It's uh, you know, it's. Sometimes I think in the general public it can be one of the most misunderstood seasons. Um, you know, some people see it as the season of new life, new growth. Others see it as the rainy season. Uh, I guess that kind of depends on where you live too. Um, but it's, uh, I mean, would you say it's your favorite? I mean, I, I know I said it's not quite my favorite yet, but what about you? I mean, I would say it's definitely my favorite um, season in general and season for photography too. Um, yeah. And, do you want me to give some long-winded answer? Sure. I mean, <laughs> if you have one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So the, the way I see it, okay. So the way I see it is like, so spring is what, like mid-March through late May, early June, we'll say. And the, I think, I, I mean, for me, like specifically, I guess, is like, because I shoot all things outdoor. Like I don't really narrow it down to like birds or landscapes. Like I kind of just do whatever I feel like or whatever the season or time of year may be it's like there's certain parts of the year that like I shoot more of like in winter, I feel like I do a lot more birds cause I, I like doing ducks and waterfowl and there's more of those um, in like spring or I guess in summer, like there's more wildflowers, maybe spring migrations over with like there's certain parts of the year that in like uh, autumn has foliage, you know, stuff like that. In spring though, it's like everything's just kind of firing off on all cylinders all at once. Well, not all at once, but like in the grand scheme of things in the same span of like, a month or two or three it's like all these things are just going off and like there's never like adult moment like I, I always say that like there's never a zero day in spring like you should always be going out almost every day if you can because like there's just so much to see and like i don't know it's just there's and i mean just to like rattle off i mean you got bird migrations multiple ones at that um taken off sometimes at the same time no overlapping you got you know nesting and raising young of birds or any wildlife really most of them 
you have uh, early spring, you have ephemeral wildflowers, which are probably some of my favorite subjects to shoot um, overall, honestly. You have just other kind of uh, wildflowers, tree buds and leaves. They start, you know, you know, budding and blossoming and all that stuff over time. Uh, all the snow melts and all the ice melts and you get flowing waterfalls all over the place uh, most of the time. The temps warm up, so I feel like more people are motivated to go outside. Um, and the only draw side between all that or against all that is like, I'm susceptible like tree pollen and allergies and that sucks because I like to be out this time of year. But like, I feel like the, this, the, uh, the, the pros outweigh the cons in this case, you know, mm-hmm. there's, just so, there's just like so much to see and it's like, it's overwhelming, but it's so exciting because it's just all rattling it off day by day, week by week. And there's just so much to see basically. Yeah. Um, it's uh it builds too. Like it's not so oh, yeah. you don't wake up and it's spring. Um, oh Yeah you know and birds really, wildflowers um, all kinds of things it builds up yeah and it, it really is it's starting about like right now as we're recording this at the end of uh february is like right now i've got uh there's these if you ever heard of these wildflowers they're called skunk cabbage and it's it's kind of like a weird alien looking plant but it grows in very moist or acidic soils and like uh, primarily like wetlands and stuff and those come around sometime in february and, um, you know, I think they hit their peak at blooming in early March. And that's kind of like one of the earliest indicators of spring and warmer temps. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much like one of the, you know, the go-getters that sets off spring in general. And that's when I know uh, it's like, all right, we're starting to get on track for that now. And uh, from you know, there, it's like, I, it just keeps going until June, basically. Uh-huh. You know, you're one of the only people I've ever heard that talks about skunk cabbage, like, as like an indication of spring. It's really? kind of like your unique thing. I feel like, like, I don't know. Really? Like it's, it's interesting, at least for me. Like I, um, really? I think everybody They're has not. their different signs, I guess. I mean, uh, I don't know. Like to be fair, like I'm fairly involved in like wetlands. Like I'm not like cert, like I don't have a degree or I'm not certified necessarily, but like I, I'm very, we'll say passionate about learning about wetlands and there's a lot of them around me. Um, and stuff like that and i'm involved in a a local nonprofit sometimes but like i don't know like it's it's a weird plant just because and i think that's what fascinates it to me is like it's weird and different and it's not like it's it's a wild flower but it doesn't flower like i don't think of it like as a flower it's not attractive in like what you know you know i mean like people think of a flower and they think of something that's like colorful or pretty skunk cabbage is like grossly brown or green when it's newly ripened and it looks it's a weird kind of alien shape and the inside like um i don't know the actual biological term but like the inside like seed is like it just looks weird and almost like freaky looking do you take and, photos like, of it yeah oh yeah okay i have macro i mean they're they're actually pretty tiny i mean like size of your fist maybe and like if you look up some photos of them anyone's listening it's like i i think they're fascinating mm-hmm. and um I mean, I'll keep this brief, but it's like, yeah, they're just neat. And like, if you ever get a chance to see them, like when there's snow on the ground, they warm up. Literally the the flower itself, the plant warms up and it'll melt the snow around it. Like it'll bloom outside of it, the cold or whatever. It's pretty fascinating. So that's, it's a neat thing. And like, um, I don't know, it's just, they're, they're interesting to me. And like, I feel like they're underappreciated for what they're worth. And, uh, you haven't lived until you like prodded one with your hand because it has like a hard rubbery surface. Really? Like it has some, it has some like give to it. Like it's like, but it's like, I don't know. Do they <laughs> smell bad? Now, but, like it's just the names kind of seems like they would. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think if you crush them, like I wouldn't recommend stepping on them because they're pretty and you know I just wouldn't disturb the plant life. But like apparently, if you crush, like step on or crush them, it does emit like a like an odor musky smell. Oh. Um, but I don't even think they're a part of this cabbage family. But I mean, they kind of like cabbage like a little bit maybe. But besides the point. Um, yeah, the, the, that's just basically one of the first indicators for me um, that springs on the way. So mm-hmm. that's what I go off of. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting for me. It's just plain old daffodils. Like, um, you know, they're <laughs> right in my front yard. You know, when I'm walking outside or something, I see them. I know spring's about to be here. So, uh, but it, it's interesting how you have that as kind of a sign, and you probably have to search for that a bit too. I mean, it's you said swamps. Yeah. It's probably it's not going to be in your backyard. So, oh no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's something. Um, like I said, over years of experience and direct observation or just hearing advice from other people it's like i learned where they're at locally speaking or just habitats you may find them at and it's something you honestly if you didn't know it's there like i didn't know it for a long time you would easily pass by because they're just kind of um they just kind of blend in i guess with the landscape and stuff but i mean you can get close-up looks at them and they're they're honestly pretty cool so Mm -hmm. um but I mean, like from there, I mean, like you go into like March and April and that's, that's ephemeral season. So, I mean, you got these wildflowers that like they're growing in woodland floors and, you know, below the canopy. And it's, it's cool. Cause those flowers are very short lived. That's why they're called ephemeral flowers. But like the reason why they grow at that time of year in particular is because the tree leaves haven't budded yet and like leafed out the canopy. So that means the sunlight can pour in and let those flowers grow for a short time. But then by the time the, you know, the, the leaves fully, you know, give out everything, it's like those flowers recede back in the ground and they're done. Hmm. Um, but yeah, but like some of those flowers are some of my favorite to photograph, like bloodroot, like that's, oh, dude, I could go on about that flower. It's one of my favorites to see every year. It's very photogenic. Some of my best flower shots for some reason are always tack sharp are bloodroot flowers and I don't know, but there's so many of them. It's just insane. And like, I'm still hunting down so many species mm-hmm. and um, I could go on and on, but it's, yeah. it's just so much fun. And like I said, it's like, it's like March and April are prime time for that. By May, you kind of get the more like uh, late spring, early summer flowers. And those just kind of stick around for a longer time. But like the ephemerals, man, it's like, you got to be ready to know what you're getting after and go see them. Cause like they will come and go in weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it's worthwhile. What, is, what is that time frame for ephemerals? Like March and April, most of them. Um, okay. Some of them start, it, it really, it, you got to just look up field guides. You got to do direct, like I said, direct observation or ask people that know, like botanists and stuff. If you want to see something in particular, do your research because they all have a fairly strict timetable of like when they bloom and when they go away. Um, like, like, like I mentioned, bloodroot, that's one of my favorites. That one I think is around for pretty much all of March and it's gone. Other ones, they'll stick around it from shoot the end of February to early April. Like it's weird. And it's, I, it's something out of my realm of, you know, considering, cause I just don't know it, but like, they just all have this kind of just strict timetable of like when they come up, when they go down mm-hmm. and like, so it's just a matter of doing the research, which I feel like spring is a good time to really you know, hunker down and really study the books. Oh yeah. Yeah. To really learn the subjects and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So with wildflowers too, I mean, are you, are you doing a lot of photography with that or is it mainly just kind of an enjoyment thing? Yeah, it's both. Um, 
I mean, like one of my happiest moments, I guess, if it sounds kind of lame, but one of my happiest moments of like the year, I guess, is like seeing a snow trillium, which for Ohio is pretty rare, but like luckily they're more of like a Southern Ohio uh, species of a trillium flower. And every time I see one, the first time I see one, it's just like, I just have to like stare at it in awe, in awe of it really. I know it sounds lame, but I just think they're beautiful. Um, same with the large flower, flower trillium, which is actually the state flower, uh, state wildflower, uh, which is cool. And that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit of both. I like taking macro shots of them. I like doing experimenting, doing wide angle stuff with them and have them like in the foreground. If there's a nice big field of them, like Virginia bluebells, like I'll get a big field of them on the hillside because they like hilly terrain and woodland habitat. Um, mm. It's a little bit of both though. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate what they are and put the camera away and just kind of like, just kind of look at them, you know, really, I don't know, smell them, <laughs> feel them. <laughs> <laughs> take a take a phone photo take a you know just i don't know just observe them as they are i guess as they sway in the wind and then take some photos and move on but you know yeah. it's a little bit of both that's awesome yeah i need to get more into flowers it seems like you're really into it and it shows in your portfolio so yeah i think honestly i think it's easier than birds just because you can as long as you know when they come up you can go to a certain place that you know they'll be at and mm -hmm. they're probably going to be there Yep. And it's as, it's as easy as I wouldn't recommend trampling them or going off trail, but like trying to find the best looking one if you want and photographing that, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And if so you, like, if you want to get like specific lighting, you go back, they'll be in that exact spot and yep, you yep. don't have to worry about scaring them. So exactly. Yeah. Birds are much tougher in that regard. Ooh, yeah. A lot, uh, lot more vari variables involved since they're much more mobile. Yeah. For me, um, when it comes to like plants in spring, I almost get more excited about the trees blooming. Um, right. You can get some really unique stuff. Um, you know, I don't have a dedicated macro lens I own, but you know, just a telephoto, you zoom in on some of those buds. Um, I have a dogwood tree in my backyard um, that blooms, you know, a nice pink color. Um, we've got a redwood. Um, and, you know, I just go to local parks. Um, you know, there's this invasive plant. I don't know what it is. It is invasive, but it, it's yellow. It covers the entire ground. Um, just stuff like that that kind of completely transforms the spring landscape. Uh, I really enjoy that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, native dogwoods are beautiful, man. I mean, the, like those buds, I've seen some of those. Um, I don't know what particular dogwood species it is, but like in summer, look at those white buds, and they're, they're quite beautiful too. Mm -hmm. um, is that invasive? Do you think it's like a honeysuckle of any type or something? Uh, it's not. No, it's, it's native. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Trees are great, man. But I, I feel like I'm more well-versed in like wildflowers. I don't know. I just feel like I'm more drawn to them, but like uh -huh. trees, man. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like you can zoom in on some buds or uh, do a macro or an intimate landscape and like, you can get some really, really cool stuff with those too. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's very, it's different than on the ground flower photography. Um, I think it's yeah. easier, honestly, because you know, you can get the, clean background and i don't know it just it it feels like you know it takes less creativity um which is sometimes what i need because you know some of the other subjects in spring uh you know it takes so much stuff out of me you know to find them um so it's kind of nice just to go to the backyard shoot some dogwoods uh, for an hour or so uh, yeah i really enjoy it I'll, I'll definitely be doing that and hopefully um 
get some birds on those branches too with those dockwoods. Yeah, that sounds great. That'd be a nice backdrop for them too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess with the lot flowers, especially cause like, like I said about the slower kind of like pacing of it in a sense, like when I'm actually there in the moment, like I really hunker down and make the best photographs I can. So like, I will spend quite literally like an hour or two in like a 10 foot space, just like moving around, experiment with angles, focal length, focus stacking, you name it. Like I really, I feel like it does help me slow down to be like, how can I take this little itty bitty flower that's only here for like a couple weeks and make it something really beautiful that I can like appreciate all year. Like mm-hmm. something like that. But yeah, it's, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean like, yeah, trees are great too. And it's like, it's just, depends on what kind of approach I guess you want to take with mm-hmm. it too. And there's just so much to shoot in spring too. Like it's just, oh. <laughs> it's, it's, you have to like pick and choose. I feel like. Yeah. Th- and that's why I said there's like, it's almost like there's no zero days. Like you don't oh. like, like skip editing, like save that for summer or something. Like if you can winter, honestly, like I, at least me, I'm <laughs> oh, not going to have time in the summer to edit my spring stuff. I, I get, I get real antsy. If I, if I get backed up on editing, like a few days worth, like I get so antsy. I don't know why. Like, it's almost like I can't sleep. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So like I force myself to edit, even if I'm like, man, I have to skip a day when I could be out, but it's it just depends. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um yeah yeah I mean, I mean i think kind of the the main thing with this and i think kind of what we're both most excited about um is the migration or the multiple migrations uh-huh. um, that come in the spring um so i mean basically you just get you know other times a year you've got your nut hatches you've got your cardinals you've got your you know, your wrens your sparrows but spring it just completely explodes are they considered tropical birds? Which ones? Warblers. Um, no. Well, well mm, tanagers are they're neotropical. Like tanagers are. I think orioles are too. Warblers are kind of. I mean, they're migratory, of okay. course. But like, yeah. I don't. I don't know if they're necessarily tropical. Well, you get um, these. You get these almost like exotic birds. I mean, they, they are. They exotic. look. Yeah. They look. Like compared to, I don't know. It's just, I think it's just the variety of colors and this, like the style of bird. Like there's just so many different kinds that like pass through during, especially during spring migration, of course, that like are unlike anything else you see, I think. Is that kind of what you're going for? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's just, Uh it's something that, you know, it's, it's magical once you see your first warbler and you realize how different (laughs) they are. Um, you know, from the common species you see throughout the year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's really a challenge because, you know, if you know the songs of Warblers, you'll hear them, like, all the time in the spring. But to get them yeah. to come down low and to get a nice frame-filling shot of them, uh, you know, it's, it's very challenging. Um, I know for me, I've only – last year I didn't really focus on Warblers. Uh, I only got, like, maybe two shots that I liked. Um, so yeah, it just helps the practice too, I guess. But yeah, I, it's definitely a good point. Raising is like, there's so much going on in spring in general, but like, even if you're honed in on birds, everything is singing at once, like literally from dawn till dusk, you'll hear the robins before sunrise and then mid- middle of the day, you're still hearing stuff. And like, none of the birds are shutting up, which, mm-hmm. you know, in of itself isn't a bad thing because that just means like bird song is about, 
uh, finding a mate and establishing territory and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's for a good reason for to ensure their survival, but like it, it also helps us as birders to like find them and identify them. And if you can master a lot of those woodland warbler songs or anything that migrates, like it'll it'll pay dividends really in just your discovery and sightings of them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm getting there on the songs. I I've been studying <laughs> my guidebook so. I'm getting That's good. There. Yep. Um, yeah. It, the problem is there's so many of them too. So it's like mm -hmm. trying to remember all of them. And then like, if you're in like, uh, you know, a hemlock mixed forest, like you got all this crap going on, like sounds and you just, it, it can be overwhelming. The spring in general is overwhelming, but it's like, it's, it's exciting too at the same time. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's just very crazy. Like the amount of the research and the excitement, like, this guidebook I've been diving way into it and there's just so much that all the habitats and you know, you're thinking, Oh, I've probably, you know, I've walked through this habitat in spring and I'm sure it's there. I just, you know, wasn't smart enough to stop and wait for it, you know? So it's, it's really just, I suggest, you know, if you don't have a guidebook, just do some research online, um, pick a couple target birds. Um, you know, we'll get into those later. Ryan and I both have lists, uh, but, Pick some of those. Look at their habitats. Uh, try to memorize their songs the best you can, um, and just go out there. You know, you might find other things, and you know, don't be afraid to shoot those too. But uh, if you look for those target birds, um, you know, you'll you'll eventually find what you're looking for. So, yeah, for sure. Um, even you know, going to much more uh, I guess concrete example is just like finding li listening to the songs of the most common birds. Um, you know, the non-migratory birds and learning those. And then you can, you know, basically upgrade to these other birds that are much more specialized, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And like, I feel like it helps because then you can differentiate and go, oh, I'm hearing a blue jay. I'm hearing a, a robin. But that that right there sounds different. And I know that's probably a migratory species. And you can go from there using a, like an audio recorder or I don't know, some kind of like audio ID app or just asking people if you're with a group or something. Like, yeah, I think Merlin does that actually, that audio ID. yeah just, oh dude, okay yeah they have that uh -huh. option now yeah yep. that's awesome um yeah that's a great point though filtering it out you can rule out what it is not and uh yeah yeah i think one of the best examples um is the blue gray gnat catcher you ever had any counters with that i have not no oh really dude yeah i mean like in may in april i guess yeah april and may i'd say especially but they stick around for most of summer they're this super tiny bird, but they're they're kind of like a, I don't think they're in the kinglet family, but they're kinglet-like in the sense of they bounce around and never stop moving. And they're very tiny, very cutesy little like kind of baby blue kind of bird with an eye, I think it's like an eye ring, a white eye ring. Mm -hmm. um, and they make this little like buzzy sound and like they're very approachable. Like they'll be right in front of you. They'll bounce down the lower canopy. They'll be eye level. They just kind of bounce around and flit about and they make this little like buzzy sound that's indistinguishable in spring. And so I hear it all the time and getting shots of them, I'm not gonna say it's easy, but like it's very possible if you're patient. So like if you hear one, just stop, look up, look around, try and find it, and then you know, zoom in on there or be patient until it gets a better view of it and then photograph it. I've probably heard it so many times before too, and I just didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. Look up the audio, you'll probably have. Mm-hmm. They're pretty common, at least um, at least in my neck of the woods. So they probably are for you too. Yeah. Um, so you want to go ahead and get into some of the target birds uh, we've outlined here? 
Uh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, I guess one species, um, it's more of like a photo opportunity I'm waiting for. It's, it's one species I hear well, plenty of times, I'll say in spring. One I've seen a couple of times through my lens, but far away. So it's not like a, it's basically a documentation shot. Uh, that'd be the Northern Parula. That's uh, probably one of the most indistinguishable like bird song, I would say overall. I mean, like that descending trill or ascending trill of like the, I'm not even going to try it. Should I try it? It's like a, and it just like it stops on a single note. So it rises and it just like cuts out. Instantly. Great job, great job. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I tried. I could feel it. It was right there. Yeah. I immersed you in spring now. Uh, yes. Yeah, but but they're they're a very beautiful uh, looking bird. They have like a yellow throat and breast and like a almost like a sky or slate blue back mm-hmm. and stuff. They're they're very striking, and beautiful, but very unique for sure. Yeah, unique in plumage and the song itself is very uh, just, I would say, honestly, easy to spot out. It's probably one of the easiest warbler songs to identify, um, especially in early mid-spring. Um, I think they're one of the earliest arrivals here in Midwest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's one that I'm always looking forward to seeing or hearing, that is, or both. Um, but getting a photo of is really tough because, like with most warblers, they favor the higher canopies um, for whatever reason. So. Yeah, so you probably heard the dreaded warbler neck, and that is yep. when you look up so much. Yeah, we've all been guilty of it. When you look up so high and you're trying to look for those birds, and because they're all just high up in those trees, and it's hard to get a good view sometimes. Um, and the parula is no exception, so they're always up there. So it's hard to get a good view of them. Uh huh. Yeah, they're. Um, I yeah, I've heard that for sure. There's some of the higher ones, right? They they really like to stick up there. Uh huh. Yeah, I think I think they're one of the most. Most likely the favorite too, yeah. I've seen one northern perula. Um, it was last spring, um, and it came right eye level. Wouldn't you believe it? My old camera could not focus on it. <laughs> so. Oh no. Yep, but um, I saw it. It was awesome. So uh, it was cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely um, gonna go back to that spot because they warblers like to go back to the same area. So. Maybe it'll favor the same perch and everything too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, we can dream. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that's cool though. Um, um, you want to list one up? Yeah, sure. So, um, okay. I live around a lot of swamp habitat. So, I'm in the Ohio River Valley area. Um, so we've got the area around the river, uh, which has lots of kind of uh, marshy areas that get flooded quite frequently. Um, I live near a wildlife refuge about an hour away called Muscatuck, which is. Uh, pretty much entirely hardwood, you know, like bottomland forest. Um, and that is both that swampy area and that hardwood forest um, is, you know, great for prothonotary warbler. Um, I've always, I've never seen one, but I've done a lot of research on them. Um, ever since I started looking at warblers, I'm really drawn to their kind of unique yellow shade. It's more orangish yellow, I would say. It's kind of more towards the warmer colors. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still yellow, but it's a little less intense um, than the yellow warbler. Um, yeah. But I'm just kind of visualizing that shot, uh, having it kind of small in frame um, with a, a beautiful, you know, kind of flooded hardwood forest behind it. You know, something like that. Um, uh, it's kind of a dream shot for me there. Um, so, yeah, that's it's just kind of a unique uh, warbler. I think for my area, it's it'll be a pretty easy find. 
Yeah, for sure. And it, it's good that you mentioned about being uh, situated near the Ohio River Valley because a lot of these warblers, um, they do favor being near water. And so, and the Pathanatari is no exception. Like they love being near creeks or rivers. And like, that's like the best spot to find them is like the woodland and the areas surrounding that edge habitat. Um, so yeah, that's a prime spot for them, um, at least habitat wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So uh, what's your next species? Well, that was one of my species, but yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, that's one I'm definitely looking forward to as well. Um, I have one close up shot of it from, I think two or three years ago, but like it has a big branch in the way. So it's like kind of salvageable, but not really. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a bird that I'm always eager to see or photograph especially, but if I get to see it at all, I'm cool with that too. Um, one that's been a little bit of a nemesis for me is the hooded warbler. Um, just because I feel like it's such an easy one to identify. Like it's hard to mistake it for anything else, but for some reason it seems to elude my camera and I've only been able to hear it, I think once at a local state park. And so it's like, I know the local patches around me to like look for them and hear them, but like, I just never have luck with them. Um, given that's pretty surprising because they are uh, one of the few warblers that favors the lower canopy. So I feel like it would be a lot easier, but like, I don't know. I just don't have quite as much as luck with them. Um, so I'm hoping this spring I'll finally get some good views of it. Hopefully some good photos too. Uh, but yeah, it shouldn't be too hard. I think. Yeah. That's, that's one of the more common ones I think. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing those. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. So kind of sticking with the warbler section. Um, the other one I said um, was pine warbler, but, um, since I've written this script, um, I've actually looked more into the yellow warbler. And I realized I don't have a single shot of that. So um, I'm going to kind of prioritize yellow over pine. They're pretty similar looking. Um, and I just want to get like really, really good yellow warbler spots or shots. If I can get that on like a dogwood tree or something, that'd be awesome. So. Funny you say that about um, common warblers. I feel like the yellow warbler is one of the most common, at least uh -huh. where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, like, it's honestly probably the easiest to identify of any warbler. Um, even the song's pretty common. Like, it's not really a complex song, if I recall. But just, like, the plumage is indistinguishable. It's just all the yellow tiny bird. I mean, it can't be that hard, right? And, like, the variety of habitat they're in is pretty uh, easy, I guess, to, uh, I guess, find it out, really. Um, they seem to be in a lot of different areas, um, mainly wetlands, I feel like, um, and kind of marshier areas, but like you probably find them in a few woodlots or kind of like edge woods or whatever too. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I've seen a couple there, uh, like on the edges, uh, but I also see them on power line roads. Um, really? so yeah, if you look at like the, the cut down, um, same for prairie warblers as well. Um, so you know what I'm talking about? Like it's, it's like in the middle of the forest and then you'll have a yes. power line running through. That's great for warblers. They love those edges. Um, gen birds in general, uh, they awesome. like, um, what's it called? It's a, uh, Woodlot, or, 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 uh yeah. Oh, I was gonna say power line clearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that specific, but you yeah. know, warblers in general, they love ecotones, kind of the, the crossing of two biomes, um, my, or uh, microbiome? No, it's Micro. called ecotones. So it's like, oh, is it? Is it really? Okay. Yeah, I watched a video about it. It's like two different um, environments, kind of where they meet, um, especially when there's water in one, and then like the other's a forest or something. 
Um, so like maybe look, maybe if you're looking for black Bernie and warbler, um, which is another one of my targets, you know, maybe look for a hemlock forest, but also look for that water source nearby. Um, kind of get the best of both worlds there. Um, and that, that'll increase your chances. Right. Yeah. I, I have some local gorges next to, or in my area and like, they have like gorgeous pine trees around them. So like, it's like a warbler haven, honestly. And some of those trails take you up on the upper rim of the rock wall. And mm -hmm. like, so you, you're pretty much up on the top of those trees and you can see yellow throated, you can see black burnian. Um, nice. God, I mean, gosh, man, black throated green. I mean, like there's just like so many different ones you can see. It's just really, really cool. That's, that's um, a good point too, being up higher above that canopy. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I had a, I had a scarlet tanger a couple of years back, like right in front of me. Like I'm talking like five, yeah. 10 feet. It was, it was like a quick blip of a moment, like almost so much, almost like numb, like froze myself because I was just ecstatic to see it that close. Did you get a picture? Yeah. I mean, it's not the best because it's kind of like late morning light, but like, it's still a pretty close photo and I actually got in focus. Um, so it's, it's still easily the best tanger shot I've gotten. One nice. of the few that is, but, and uh, Scarlet Tangers, if I'm talking about migratory birds, I think Scarlet Tangers is one of my favorites because... Uh, every time I see one, it's like, I almost second guess myself. Is that a cardinal? I can't tell. Oh, and I zoom in. I'm like, oh yeah. It's because <laughs> it's like, whenever I see them, I feel like I'm really close up on them too. Just mm -hmm. by surprise. Yeah. Um, and same with the uh, summer tanger, which I mean, look up the bird call. I mean, that, that bird call is, I don't know. It's, it's one of the, um, it's one of the more other more distinguishable ones I would argue in terms of like migratory birds. Um, it's just unique sounding. I don't know. I'm not even going to try to mimic that one, but <laughs> It's, it's, it sounds otherworldly, mm -hmm. but it's cool. It's really cool. And they're a beautiful bird as well. Yeah. Um, I've never seen a single tanager. So, um, that's, that's awesome. I'll, really? I'll definitely have to check out kind of the gorge environments around me too. Yeah. And, um, well, uh, one of my favorite trees, I, I don't know too much about trees. I'm not well versed in them as I should be though. Um, working on that of course, but uh, sycamores are one of my favorite trees, um, just your common American sycamore and yellow-throated warblers favor those trees. So like, I just look for sycamores and anywhere basically, um, especially near a water source. And like during spring, you're probably gonna find some if you're patient, um, the warbler that is I'm talking about. Um, so that's another one I'm eager to see. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely patience too, like in general with warblers, like, you know, you'll see one, but if you really want to get a good picture consistently, you'll just have to wait, um, you know, for them to come down, you know, watch their cycle. Maybe they land on one kind of lower branch, um, you know, set up. You know what I do? I climb trees sometimes. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if you're by a road, get on top of your car, get higher, bring a step ladder. Uh, you know, whatever you can to get higher, because even a slight you know, a couple feet, it'll make a big difference. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of, it's unfortunate because there's not too many, uh, like low of low canopy birds, uh, warblers or migratory birds. But I mean, we got to give a shout out to like the ground dwellers, like, um, oven bird, you know, ones like that. Um, if you're near lots of water sources with like little creeks and everything, you get water thrush, like Louisiana or something like that. Um, and those are, you know, much more of a ground level kind of birds. So like not all birds are up in the higher canopy this time of mm -hmm. year or whatever too. Yeah. It's, um, you just got to kind of look at the behavior of the bird. 
uh, see what they eat. You know, if that food's more ground based, you know, they'll, they'll definitely be more in that ground area. Uh, you know, you know, plan your support too accordingly. Like if you're shooting water thrush, maybe bring a skimmer uh, to support your camera on the ground because you will be waiting for a while. Uh, but if you're shooting up higher, bring your tallest tripod. Um, and I'd, I'd really suggest that step ladder. Um, I've, I've done it before. Um, you know, if you know a warbler spot that doesn't require a lot of hiking, you know, just take it there, set up your step ladder, put your tripod as high as you can and shoot from there. Uh, it works. And, uh, yeah, just kind of evaluate the situation. Yeah. I mean, that's a good idea. I think, um, it just depends on the application of it, I guess, or where you're at too. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. I think the only other warbler I'm really, I mean, I'm, I'm eager to see all of them, of course, and ones I've seen previously, but like, I think black and white's one that I really want to get a shot of just because they are very beautiful and just the, the streaks along their entire body. And, um, they're, they're one of the more common, like wood warblers, woodland warblers. And, uh, they almost have this kind of like nuthatch, almost woodpecker like behavior. Like they kind of scale the trees and everything. Mm -hmm. So like, you have to really look at each tree and really find like them. Cause they almost blend in too, in a way. Um, as their name suggests, they are black and white, but like, yeah, I don't know. That's one I'm looking forward to seeing anyways, too. Yeah. Uh, that's one of my targets as well. Um, and it seems like they're kind of in a variety of habitats, uh, too. So might be one of those ones that you don't always have to target. Uh, but you, you know, you could find going in these different habitats, uh, for other types of warblers. Yeah, for sure. Uh -huh. Um, and then honorable mentions to like other migratory birds, like the Orioles. Um, mm -hmm. I know in 2021, that was like a banner year for uh, Orioles in general. Um, I saw a stupid amount of Baltimore Orioles and uh, quite a lot of or Orchard Orioles. Ugh. Orchard Orioles. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Um, those are great birds. Uh, very beautiful and striking with their just like, especially the Baltimores with their bright orange. I mean, that just stands out against anywhere in Ohio. Unlike any other colors we see on those kind of avian life, um, and then in the summer especially, you get the grassland songbirds like Henslow sparrow, bobolinks are one of my favorites. Um, Meadowlarks, I mean, like the list goes on and on. Uh, cuckoos, those are one of my favorites too. Um, that's one of my favorite bird songs to hear in the summer. Um, are, just look up like are meadowlarks migratory? I think so. I, think I don't most... think so. Honestly, I think. I think a lot of them migrate. I think they can be re year round, but like, because I, I mean, I saw a metal arc last week. I think um, it's kind of like I think it's yearly dependent. Like robins, you know how robins kind of like there's a lot of them in winters, and then other ones there's not. I think it's kind of like that. Like, oh, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. I, I, I'm not like I, I guess say like I could be totally wrong about that, but I believe it's like it's year dependent at random. I could be wrong, but okay. Uh, but like, yeah, you're right. I mean, meadowlarks are kind of around all year, but like, I feel like in the summer or the spring and summer, like I see them a lot more than like fall and winter, but yeah. Well, you're, aren't you're right, they also I... more bright in the summer too? So that, that might be why. It could be. And, and more vocal. Um, like we mentioned, it's, it's much easier to spot birds or hear them that is because of how much more bird song is going on that time of year too. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that. Um, and then also the vireos. Um, I'm not well versed in vireos, but I, I'd like to be more because they're pretty beautiful and their songs are complex and you know cool to hear, I guess. And then um, of course our aerialist birds like swallows or swifts, those are cool too, um, and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, and then uh, I don't even know backyard nest boxes or I have a backyard nest box for bluebirds. And so that's something I look forward to every spring. And um, much like our previous, one of our previous episodes recently was uh, backyard uh, birding. That's one thing I look forward to in spring that I pay attention to is the, you know, the growth and the stages of that too. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah I think that's it for birds for me. Is there anything else you'd want that? Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I have a spotted sandpiper spot that's right by my house. Um, I got some pretty good photos last year, but uh, this year I'm really going to like try hard to get a great shot. Um, it's just along a creek bed. Um, they, they forage around on these rocks uh, and they'll, they pretty much only fly between two spots. So they're there most of the time. Um, and I'm excited for that. Um, that's kind of later in uh, the migration, later in spring, uh, if I'm correct. Is that? Um, no, I mean, I, I think spotted sandpiper comes around in like May. Usually May is like a good time of year to see them. Okay. Um, like I've even seen them at like the busiest of community parks. I'll see one in like the mud flats near a pond like a fishing pond. It's crazy, but like, it's possible. Got it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean like you're not, you're not too far off from that. I think. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then also I am heading to Florida in April. Um, and I know it may not directly be migration, but you get a lot of those species, um, that you might see in like the shorebird migration, but you get them a lot closer up, you know, on beaches and that kind of environment. Um, so I'm going to, Look forward to seeing Sanderlings, uh, Dunlin, uh, Red Knots, just all these unique shorebirds uh, on these sandy habitats. So, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Lots of variety and stuff you wouldn't see otherwise, like in Kentucky, for example. Mm -hmm. And then the summer, I'm doing a dream trip up to Nome, Alaska. Um, a lot of warblers uh, go up there. Um, I know there's tons of yellow warblers like everywhere. Like they're almost as prevalent as robins up there. Um, uh, there's blue throats, which are these rare Arctic birds. Um, I believe they're a type of neotropical bird, uh, golden plovers, all kinds of stuff. Um, also baby animals too. That's a whole nother can of worms. Um, robin nests. Uh, I have a duckling spot, uh, goslings, just all kinds of stuff. I mean, have you done a lot of baby animal stuff in spring or? Um, yeah, quite a bit actually. Um, I, I mean, late, I think late, yeah, it was April about three years ago. I think I got some, uh, great horn owlets like perched up high up in a tree and, um, cause I kept hearing this raspy sound. I'm like, what the heck is this? It's just like a cat bird or something. I mean, like, or <laughs> like, what am I hearing? And then like, I finally found it in a tree and it's like staring me down from like 80 feet high. And it's just like this little owlet, like almost grown up. I mean, it's still like an owlet, of course, but like you can tell it's been grown up over the past few months, um, probably since like January or February, I imagine when it was born. And like, it's just like, I could see its mouth opening. It's like, Rah! and just like, it just kept doing that like a couple times a minute, like wow. every minute, literally. Huh. It was pretty wild. Um, and yeah, so uh, other than that, I mean, like I mentioned a second ago, is like the Eastern Bluebirds. Um, I keep track of their like stages of development and see, hopefully they can raise not only one, but two clutches uh, per uh, year. And I get to see those Bluebirds start from like just hatching, I mean, just eggs, then hatching, then growing. And they do it in like the span of a couple of weeks, which is insane to me. And then they fly away and disappear out to the world. So um, 
Uh, like I mentioned, uh, those local community parks are actually great places, I think, for spring photography. Because, like, I've even found Orioles and Warblers at my, like, busiest of community parks. It's insane. Um, spotted uh, Sandpipers. I found Green Herons, which is awesome. Ooh, like, at nice. these busy parks, too. It's insane to me to think you could find these cool species there, but you can. Um, and, uh, yeah, and at the same parks, I mean, you go there on any given day in, like, May... Um, just because May seems like the best time of year uh, for this kind of stuff is that you find, yeah, Canada geese, goslings, mallard ducklings, um, even wood ducks, ducklings. Um, those are probably some of my favorites to photograph. And so, yeah, I get, I get familiar with the with spots that they're at and I just go there every year. And it's like, like I say, it's easy to get the photos, but like as long as you do the research and the knowledge of it, it's you just go to the location and you can find them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that really helps. Yeah. Years of experience. Man, there's just so much. Like you saying that just brought up so many memories of like spots I need to go to. Um, oh yeah, I know of an egret pond. Uh, it's a very shallow pond. Um, it's one of my favorite places actually, all times of year, just because of the variety. Uh, but in the spring and summer, you get hundreds of great egrets that just—it's not a rookery, um, but it's just where they fly in in the mornings. It's amazing, you know, flight shots of egrets. Um, you know, you get the close-ups. They're very cooperative um, just because it's a very popular park. Um, so uh, many people, I don't know why, but, you know, multiple times I've gone there now, they said, did you see the bald eagles down at the pond? And I'm like, no, those are great egrets. But um, that's how I know spring's coming too when those egrets show up there. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't had much luck with uh, looking – looking for like heron or egret uh, rookeries, but like, I know they're around like the Midwest. I just, I don't know. I don't have much luck finding them too often. Uh-huh. Um, I guess there's one such lake. Now that I think about it. Yeah. At a, at a local metro park, there's one lake. It's a massive lake at that, but like I found like 50, over 50 egrets just perched on trees. So I guess that counts, but awesome. I mean, that's, that's a cool spectacle. And um, I guess to like the non birder, they may see that and go like, Oh, eagles. <laughs> It's it's a big bird. Uh-huh. It's white. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, and close enough, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That's cool though. That's cool. Um, and that same remind- spot. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was, I was just gonna say that. Um, it it just remind me of with the eagles is like osprey are also pretty common during migration. Oh my so gosh! Like, yeah. This is making me stressed, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> this episode should excite you, not stress you. <laughs> But it is kind of stressful in a way because, like, I, I, my attention span cut like is null and void. Like, I have no, I have an agenda, but it's just like I get so like in the field, I get so easily distracted. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, warblers, and then halfway through, a, a, you know, shoot or some place, you know, at some place, it's like, oh, there's this cool flower. Switch lenses, like, yeah, it's just overwhelming. I, I don't know. It's the most fun, but it's overwhelmingly fun. See, for me, <laughs> like. As much as I love the flowers, I think I'm just going to have to go all in on wildlife or specifically bird life. Like, really? For spring? I really think so. Cause like we're, we're doing McGee Marsh with all those warblers. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to Florida and from the limited time I'm going to be in Louisville, you know, I really want to get some spots down, um, you know, focus on those, you know, get those egrets, get those unique warbler species. Um, you know, I think I'll shoot flowers in like harsh light, you know, maybe get up early in the morning, shoot warblers when I still can, maybe do some flowers during the day and then 
go back at it evening, do some warblers, something like that. Uh, yeah. But it is probably going to take a back seat just because of you know, this is really my first year seriously doing this. So I just really want to hit it hard. So I mean, that's that's totally valid, and it, honestly, it makes sense because of just the the timing of migration and like mm -hmm. there's I mean it it doesn't seem I mean it seems like it because of how fast those warblers go in and out like real quick most of them at least um but like it's still it goes by real quick like that month that month or two the month and a half really of like peak migration or a couple weeks of peak migration it's like it's quick and like if you do the knowledge the the the, the forefront like research beforehand of like this species sticks around for this amount of time you can kind of like and if you know your local woodland or your patches i mean or just any place to go to you can probably get that species hopefully but like it just comes and goes so quick so i mean i, I you know i i think it's commendable to you to like you know really hone in on that particular subject matter just because of how timely it is too so you know lots of wildflowers stick around until throughout summer and like during summer i'm not going to say there's not birds to photograph there are plenty but like the warblers aren't really quite in full numbers <laughs> by then and like shorebirds are one of the first to migrate in spring and they're also one of the first to go at the beginning of summer so like you know it's stuff like that and it's always coming and going too mm -hmm. yep and i mean man like our our uh mcgee marsh trip i mean that's just gonna be insane oh. like it's gonna be a cheat code like there's literally, <laughs> I watched the videos. There's a black burning warbler, you know, right in front of you. Yeah, yeah. You have to use a hundred millimeters because it's so close. It's gonna be insane. Uh dude, I I'm excited and uh, like especially that we're also gonna be there for about a full week. So like yeah. I feel like like it's one thing if we went there for like two or three days. Even even with our day, I just I would feel like I'd be so like overwhelmed as like a tourist yeah. almost. Like just I gotta see it all and get it all but like we have a week so like i feel like i can kind of like almost relax in a way and just kind of space it out like i don't have to see everything when one day so like we're i feel like we're both gonna get, walk away from that with some amazing shots and just some like great experiences of course too and i hope we get that overcast light too so we <laughs> hopefully get some all of those day days. long yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe just like if half of those days could be overcast and the half be uh -huh. sunny i'd be okay yeah we do totally. shorebirds on the sunny days and then we do <laughs> warblers on the overcast or just yeah dawn and dusty shorebirds and then middle of the day warblers yeah sounds or, good yeah yeah it's something like that. but man um and then just also butterflies moths like uh, yeah there's just so much man i just we could make 20 episodes about yep. spring it's it's just there's so, like I just feel like for the outdoor photographer, there's something for everyone. Even if you don't shoot everything, there's like there's never a dull moment. There's always something to see. We didn't even really talk about waterfalls, but like oh my, that's a whole another ball game. Wow. I mean, we talked about waterfall on an episode. I don't know which one off the top of my head, but like so yeah, uh, listeners can watch that. Of course, whichever episode that is, I can't remember. Sorry, um, a while ago, but way back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's way back by now, but um, yeah, I mean, there's just so much to see, and it's it's. I mean, I just recommend, even if you have allergies like I do, just take some non-drowsy Benadryl and some eye drops with you, and some nasal spray, and uh, get out there. It's it's worth it. It's worth it. Yep, for sure. Um, yeah, I think we're, we'll do more content about spring. Um, I think we should do migration episode or a migration wrap up, maybe. Uh, in the summer and you know i'm sure we'll do plenty of big biggest week content 
uh, both on the podcast and our, on our own own YouTube channels and Instagram feeds. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited personally. Um, I I like to look at my Instagram feed, not because like I just like looking at kind of what I've been shooting lately, kind of the color palettes, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I can't wait to see that colorful that color come back because no matter how hard you try, you can never add that color in winter. Like it's, it's just not there. So. I mean, yeah, it's just like as spring goes on and then it gives way to summer. Like there's just this overwhelming pop of color. And like, even if everything kind of like turns green, at least leaves or something, but like you still, you got colorful birds, you got beautiful flowers. I mean, like, ah, flowing waterfalls. It's just everything, man. It's yeah. Yep. Super it's, exciting. Just, yeah. And like, yeah, I'm looking forward to our trip and seeing what you get for photos and everything. And, you know, it's just going to be a good time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that's uh, a great place to wrap it up. Uh, but before we go, um, Ryan has a special announcement about a presentation we're doing. So, yeah. So uh, both Henry and I have been invited to the out of Chicago. It's basically a live conference um, virtually um, this year. And uh, so basically we're going to be on a panel discussion with um, actually Corey Hart, which was one of our former guests on the show here. Um, he's a landscape photographer. And so that will be, I believe, March 11th. That's a Friday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, and so out of Chicago is basically like a, I think it's like a multi-day events with different panel discussions and all these different kind of like live virtual webinars and stuff. Um, and it features like some big names. I mean, we got like Nick page on this thing. Um, I think David Johnson's on it as well. Like we got yep. some, like there's like some great names on there, but like the three of us are going to be basically having a live, it's almost like a podcast episode in of itself. Mm-hmm. And um, the topic is basically giving out tips and advice to people like young and up and coming photographers, um, especially. And so we're going to be talking about different, uh, basically revenue streams or avenues to explore promoting your photography. Um, and so, you know, with us representing the show, we're going to be talking about that quite a bit and uh, you know, with Corey on as well. So, I mean, we're, we're looking forward to it and uh, we hope you can uh, hop on there because I, I believe it's free. So, I mean, yep. why not? <laughs> well, it's, you have to pay for attendance to the event. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. But once you're in, it's, it's all free. Um, Access to everything, not just yep. our recording. And, uh, so, it's a happy hour, so uh, there's prizes and everything. Uh, more details on that will be announced later. But uh, and yeah, yeah, it's it's always a great time. People ask tons of questions. I was I didn't present last year, but I attended out of Chicago last year. Super great. Like even if you don't, even if you can't catch our presentation. If you pay for it, you get the recordings for up to a year, so you can go back and watch it. Um, it's just super great time. Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be like a very kind of like our show, really. It's going to be like a laid back conversational atmosphere. Um, but the cool thing will be it's it's centered around a topic like a lot of our episodes are. And um, something that really we haven't talked about on the show, at least at length. And uh, yeah, it's going to be live. So, I mean, like you can pop in with questions and just enjoy the experience and hang out with us, really. So we're looking forward to it. Yep, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think that's it for today. Um, yeah definitely great talking about spring migration uh, it's very exciting for sure so yeah i agree so yeah we hope you're looking forward to it too and we'll keep you guys updated uh, you know stories you know posts on individual accounts videos all kinds of stuff so yeah awesome yeah thanks so much for watching and listening everyone and uh we'll see you in the next episode yeah thank you guys
Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.